Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Suzette Bray. She's the founder and executive director of Village Counseling and Wellness. She is a DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy expert and provides these services through Village Counseling and Wellness. Today, we talk about the use of dialectical behavioral therapy and how it's helpful in not only individuals with history of mental illness and mental health struggles, but also individuals during these difficult times in figuring out how to tolerate distress and deal with uncertainty. Welcome, Suzette. Thank you for being on the show today. I'm so glad to be here. So I've been looking forward to this conversation because I would love to have the listener just have more of an idea about dialectical behavioral therapy and the work you do at your center and how that relates to maybe the experience that most people are going through during these times in history. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here too, because I think so many of us are dealing with so much more distress than we've ever had to deal with in more normal times. Can you talk a little bit about the work you do at your center and the focus and your mission? What we've traditionally done is work with folks who have emotional dysregulation disorders, folks who spend a lot of time in high levels of distress. And high levels of distress can look generally one of two ways. You know, we think a lot about high levels of distress as looking like big emotions, you know, lots of crying or yelling or screaming or breaking things. But there's another side of distress too. And that's kind of looking like kind of clocked out or just out of it, looking, we call it often dissociated or hypo-aroused, which means looking out of it, just kind of clocked out and breathing slowed. And the way we might look at it now, if you've ever had a really long Netflix binge, that might look a little dissociative. You know, I just can't do anything else other than then stare at that screen anymore. I've got nothing left in me. I'm just gonna Netflix binge. So maybe kind of other words that the listener might connect with are feeling disconnected or checked out, right? Just right. kind of escaping from the reality, but it's going inward in a way, I guess, right? right. Um, during times that feel too hard to manage. For sure. Yes. Yes. So traditionally, we've worked with folks who spend a lot of time in those places. And often the diagnosis that goes along with that is borderline personality disorder, sometimes bipolar disorder. For our folks, sometimes it's treatment-resistant depression or anxiety. So those are the folks that we've traditionally worked with. And often those folks have had years and years and years of more traditional talk therapies. But what we do is we teach dialectical behavior therapy skills. And those are skills of mindfulness, 
how to be in the present moment on purpose without trying to change it, without trying to judge it, just being there as it is. We also teach distress tolerance. That's about how to get through a bad situation without making it worse. Because often what we want to do in a situation that we don't like is try to make it stop no matter what. And sometimes that actually ends up, we can make it stop but we end up having to dig ourselves out of some kind of hole later on. We also teach about emotional regulation. If an emotion is not justified by the current situation or if it lasts too long, how to change that emotion. And also interpersonal effectiveness, how to get people to to do what we want them to do in an effective way that might even keep them liking us. So we've taught those skills to folks because sometimes we don't learn those as kids. Sometimes our emotions are too high and the folks around us don't understand how to teach us how to do those things. They expect us just to intuit them or they do that stuff for us and then we never learn on our own or they don't pay attention until the emotions are too big. So we teach those skills. And then in individual therapy, we help folks do what's called behavioral chain analysis, which is breaking down events in kind of excruciating detail and so that we understand really what's going on and then applying those skills in session so you can figure out what to do next time because there's always a next time. And then applying coaching between sessions so that the client can call us up and say, oh my gosh, I'm in the midst of one of these messy situations and I don't know what to do next. I tried that skill. It didn't help. Help me figure out what to do this time so that then they can grow in the midst of a difficult situation. So that's what we've traditionally done. But now... Most people are getting stretched into these high emotional states. So we've expanded our skills training classes from folks who are kind of living in those high emotional states all the time due to their mental health diagnoses. And then we're teaching a lot of folks who normally wouldn't be in our programs those skills because kind of we all need skills right now. Mm -hmm. I know I do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. So dialectical behavioral therapy has traditionally been thought as a treatment for people who have borderline personality disorder and a very effective treatment. But it's true. I mean, those skills are appropriate for anybody dealing with difficult times, difficult emotions, major stressors, which, you know, unfortunately is are most people in the world right now, right? So how would someone find you? How would someone decide that this is for them? How, how does that work? Well, how they'd find us is they just look on the internet at Village Counseling and Wellness and either go and fill on the form on the website. And everybody talks to me when they give us a call, just because I'm kind of like that. I want to check in with everybody. And then we do all of our sessions right now online. It was unfortunately... Or fortunately, the silver lining of the pandemic was that we figured out we could do this online. And so we provide those skills to everybody in California. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying having folks who wouldn't necessarily be all together in a group, really being together and all learning together. It's a lot of fun. And watching people really stretch themselves and, and really banding together and being supportive of one another. Oh, I think of it as if it's a support group with very concrete skills. 
Yes, not a process group that you think about for therapy. You know, nobody's talking about their deep, dark secrets. They're really taking a class in emotional regulation at the same time as understanding that while we're not all in the same boat, we're all in the same storm and really being supportive of one another. So how would this look different than just say someone calling up a therapist and deciding to go through some individual therapy? You know, traditionally, therapy has been where you talk about what's going on in your life. You gain insight about your patterns. And through having insight into those patterns, you make changes. And I think when times are this tough, insight doesn't necessarily do it. It's not enough. I think sometimes you need concrete step-by-step skills. I mean, one of the skills of DBT just seems so simplistic and it's the STOP skill. And we love our acronyms in DBT. It's STOP, take a step back, observe, proceed mindfully. And that seems so mind-blowingly simplistic. And I personally must do it 40 times a day. My son is 10 years old and he literally can watch it clicking through the gears of my mind when I'm doing it. I'm not telling him I'm doing it, but he looks at me and goes, hey, mom, you're stopping. You're stopping, aren't you, mom? You're stopping. Because it's like when you are a parent who runs a business, who's trying to see clients online, (laughs) knowing that your kid cannot walk in and interrupt you in the middle of a session, that's not good. Trying to do all the things it takes to run a business. Child is doing school and really needs you because trying to do remote schooling when your child is a severe case of attention deficit disorder, all of this stuff is going on, right? And you have to stop, take a step back, observe and proceed mindfully maybe 10,000 times a day or else you're going to flip your lid, right? Mm -hmm. And burn the house down. (laughs) And so insight may help me do that, but having this concrete little skill, this little tiny simplistic acronym makes all the difference between being able to stop and just take this infinite, I can't even pronounce the word today, this little tiny break before I explode or before I can take this little tiny breath and do something that's effective and mindful towards my family. And so I've drilled that acronym in. And I know it sounds so simple. And I know it's something that most of us wish we could do without having to learn an acronym for it. But that concrete little acronym makes a world of difference to me and a huge number of other people. And so it's the idea between having to reinvent the wheel in the moment or having this little teeny weeny decision tree. It makes me think about the different steps that you focus on. And so that skill speaks to the idea of having appropriate responses or more non-impulsive responses that not only help yourself, but actually 
allow you to maintain relationships and also kind of get what you want in a more appropriate, lasting, meaningful way if you aren't as impulsive in your reactions to things. Exactly. And I've got a quick and easy way to teach it to my favorite little person in the world who also needs help controlling his impulses as well. So I'm not having to make it up for myself to therefore then model it to my child. I've got this fast little easy way to remind myself and then model it for somebody I love. So it just makes it so much easier than having to make it up at a time when my subjective units of distress, my suds, are super duper high and I lose 25 IQ points because I'm in emotion mind, because I'm stressed and all over the place and just not working at my highest level. I'm not in my wise mind, as we would say in DBT. I think it's just the power of these skills. The same way is when in basketball, there are drills. You know, when you're a basketball player, you're doing drills to sink the basket, sink the basket, sink the basket. So that when everything hits the fan and you're in the middle of the game and you've got to shoot that free throw, all the muscle memory is there is to be able to shoot that when the chips are down, when everybody's watching. So In DBT skills, we drill the skills so that we can use them when everything's on fire. Yeah, I mean, it seems relevant that people are needing to (laughs) use those skills more often, being home more often, being with your kids, being in just stressful situations with people that maybe you used to have breaks from. Maybe. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to go back. We started off by talking about people who dissociate or who disconnect from things. So we talked about that a little bit, but then we also talked about people who get too involved in the other direction, right? Too distressed due to what's happening and kind of go too into it, right? And I guess one question I have is that can exist in the same person. In some situations, they withdraw. And in other situations, they get in it, but they don't know what to do with it. Right. Absolutely. So what skills can we use when we're in the midst of a situation that can be big and explosive and we don't know what to do, how can we actually, instead of getting in the midst of the situation and blowing everything up, how can we actually set ourselves to withdraw for a little while, calm our central nervous system, and then go back when we're ready to manage it in maybe a more effective way? So we have a set of skills for that. And those are also in our distress tolerance module. And we would, everything starts from being mindful, like, oh my gosh, my subjective units of distress are really high. Anything I'm going to do here, I'm going to have to apologize for, I'm going to have to pay for, or I'm going to have to, oh boy, (laughs) yeah, am I going to get arrested in this one? (laughs) I hope not. So then it's like, how can I withdraw from this gracefully? Is this something that I need to go, you know, stop, take a step back and go figure out and then come back to when I brought myself down, how can I go basically take a break and then figure out how to manage it differently? Because so often when our subjective units of distress go up, we are convinced this problem has to be solved right now, right in this moment, because it's a big crisis. 
I just don't know how many things in our day-to-day lives have to be solved right this second. What if it's something that doesn't have a solution? Well, <laughs> you are so good at this. <laughs> um, the, the, um, well, often, you know, sometimes we have to take a break and figure that out. Right. And that's what a lot of the distress tolerance techniques are, is to kind of go on emotional lockdown for a while until you figure out that there's no solution here. And I may just have to accept that there's no solution, at least right now. And then I have to go into kind of our second half of the distress tolerance skills, which is learning to radically accept. And the reason I go, oh is because radical acceptance is one of those really tough skills to do because radical acceptance involves grieving that you don't get what you want. And nobody likes grieving. I don't know. Do you enjoy grieving? I don't don't like it. But sometimes we have to learn to radically accept that things just aren't going to turn out the way that we want them to turn out. But with accepting comes that stopping, keeping on fighting reality. And with that comes freedom. We don't have to keep fighting anymore. This is reality. It's not the way I want it, but it is how it is. Once I accept that, I can cope with that. And I'm sure some people in your module say, but that's resigning to a kind of thinking about the world, right? And saying mm-hmm. there's so many problems in the world, right? And okay, so I can radically accept it, but I also want to make an impact. And so how does that play in? Radical acceptance does not mean you have to approve of what's going on. And it doesn't mean that you have to forego activism. It doesn't mean that you have to just lie down and say, well, that's just the way things are. Okie dokie. It doesn't mean that you can't attempt change. It means that you, in fact, you have to accept reality before you can even start to make change. So Marsha Linehan, the creator of DBT, tells the story about there being a, let's say you bought a house, right? And you bought it with the understanding that the house was going to be painted before move-in day, right? And you get to the house And it's purple. And that whole, it was supposed to not be purple on move-in day. So you get to the house and you show up and you say, this is unacceptable. I don't want this house to be purple. No, 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 no. And you drive away the house and away from the house and you go, no, I cannot accept that it's not purple. You have to accept the house is purple in order to go to the paint store, get the paint, and get the house repainted, right? So until you can accept that things are the way they are, you can't start to campaign for change. Yeah, so it's almost as if you have to stop, you have to cool down, accept it, and then say, okay, there needs to be effort to make a change in the way that I want it to be, but it has to be a measured effort and a calm type of effort. Exactly. And you can't, I I remember going to this concert when I was about maybe 18 years old. And I remember it was a long time ago, you (laughs) two. And I was with a bunch of friends and my friend had brought her boyfriend and he was a hothead, right? And there were Amnesty International petitions everywhere, 
right? And he decided to write a manifesto on one of the Amnesty International petitions. And the page was almost full. And he started to write all this stuff on it. And he destroyed the page of signatures with his writing, right? So he thought he was making change, but he wasn't. He destroyed a page of signatures that could have made a difference. Does that make sense? He wasn't doing activism. He wasn't making change. In fact, he got in the way of change with his lack of being able to control his emotion and his lack of radical acceptance that he couldn't express all of his beliefs on this piece of paper because, in fact, he lost some of the potential of the movement. Does that make sense? It does. And the other thing I want to bring up, I noticed that you feel that it's helpful to share your personal experiences. And I know in DBT, the DBT therapist tends to do that quite a bit. They tend to bring in some of their personal experiences and life experiences. Why is that, you think? Well, we call it self-involving self-disclosure. In DBT, we feel it's very powerful that the client knows that we're people. You know, that whole blank slate thing is just not helpful in DBT. And I might go a little further than other people in DBT world as far as bringing in my own experiences. We talk a lot about folks being emotionally sensitive in DBT world. And I think it's very powerful to share that I'm also emotionally sensitive and that I need to use skills as well. And I think it just knocks down one of those walls where these clients have felt so invalidated so much of their lives, where people have just looked at them like, what the heck is wrong with you? You flipping drama queen. Stop. Your emotions are wrong and weird and invalid. And it's just strange. And cut it the heck out. And the real key to working with folks who have strong emotions is validating that these emotions make sense in light of this person's experience, in light of how they experience emotion, how things feel to them, and what it is to walk around in the world with this heightened level of sensitivity, with this heightened level of of being someone that when an emotion hits, It is like experiencing a tsunami of emotion and just the idea that there are other people in the world who can experience things very strongly and have learned to adapt to that is very powerful for folks. And I think being open about that is really important without saying, you know, that's great and go ahead and live that way. Because you can't adapt to the world if you don't figure out how to do something with those emotions. Yeah. So bottom line is that, yes, your emotions are valid and you should not ignore them, but how do you sit with them and chew them and process them and react to a world that might be counterproductive to put those emotions out there at that moment, right? Or how do you accept the emotion and then stop and then decide how to proceed either with that emotion or kind of to allow that emotion to maybe take the backseat in that I talk a lot about emotional sensitivity sometimes being a great gift, you know, that these are our artists, our activists, our people of passion. 
But the problem is, is that sometimes walking around in the world with a high level of emotional sensitivity feels like being naked and the whole world is made of sandpaper. And I talk about, you know, the DBT skills as being a parka. You know, you can put it on and use them, but you can still access that high level of sensitivity when you want to. And I think that that's the gift of the DBT skills is that you can still interact with the rest of the world and still engage. And it's wonderful. And you can still access that sensitivity that really is such a gift when it doesn't make you want to just fall apart or feel so exceptionally misunderstood as for so many of our folks. It really does. It makes them feel like such outsiders. Makes them feel so invalidated so much of the time. So the goal is not to change someone's emotions. No, no. Not unless they want to. Sometimes they will want to change it. It's really more about living in the larger world and not missing out on that and not wanting to die because they feel so misunderstood or because emotions hit them so hard that they can't understand that the emotion is going to change eventually. Because so much for our folks is is that when they feel the strength of an emotion, it hits them so hard that they can't see that that emotion is inevitably going to change. So that emotion hits This is how I'm going to feel today and every day for the rest of my life. So that idea of dialectical thinking is that idea of being able to hold this viewpoint and other viewpoints at the same time rather than only this viewpoint. So yes, I feel terrible right now. And there are multiple different things that I am going to feel (laughs) throughout the next few days and throughout the rest of my life. So I'm going to hang on because there's lots of different ways I'm going to feel. And I can see how that's relevant to everybody. And in these groups of people who maybe don't have mental health histories, but decide to take part in these groups to help just regulate themselves a little bit more in the world they're living in to say, yeah, I'm having a lot more strong emotions, but how do I think about those just in the context of my life moving forward for the next week, right? Or, you know, tomorrow. Or just that my career's hit a pause right now. And I don't know for how long my career is going to hit a pause. Or for our teenagers out there who are missing out on really big developmental events, you know, they're missing a year of their lives, you know, certain parts of their lives that are big events that they've looked forward to for a long time. And how do they get through that? How do they figure that out? How do they balance that? Well, these kind of skills can really help them integrate that into their worldview. Right. And are your groups separated by age range? They are. We have adult groups from about 18 and up. We have teen groups. We have parent of teen groups. Our adult groups, remarkably enough, are from 18 all the way up to whenever. And people tend to think that's going to be strange. But we've had some really very adorable friendships. I know that's... That sounds odd, but we've had some really great friendships crop up out of those groups, really cross-generational friendships that have been really awesome crop up from those. We also have not started them yet, but we have the capacity for Spanish-speaking groups. And our social work interns from Colombia 
And from USC are launching next month a low-fee group that they're going to be running, which we're really excited about that. They finished their training and they're getting going. Good, good. Well, it sounds like a great resource for people. I want to be mindful of your time. I learned a bit more about DBT myself, and so I really appreciate you educating me. Is there anything big picture, big topic that you think would be important for the listener to know that we didn't talk about? Oh, I wish I had something really, really profound to say right now. (laughs) Well, Um, maybe we went over the main point. I mean, for me, this gave me a better understanding of DBT and what it is and how to think about it. And I appreciate that. And hopefully the listener got that too. I hope so. I hope so. I'll make sure that I add your website to the episode description so people can learn a bit more about your program and DBT in general. Yeah, and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. This is really, really fun. This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.